want to ask if there's anybody here who's ever heard of a guy by the name of Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Don't you wish you had a name like that? Well, this man <coughs> was, is recent in history. Actually, he was born in Puerto Rico in about 1940, 41, 42, somewhere in there. Maybe even a little later than that. So it's not ancient history. He is dead now. He did pass away in about 19, no, 2013. 2013. So it's that reason, recent. And the reason I bring him up is sometimes we get the idea that some of this stuff in the Bible is so old that it's not really as relevant as we might make it out to be, or as I may make it out to be to you. But this man, according to his testimony, was saved from a life of, of drugs and alcohol and just rebellion as a teenager in Puerto Rico. And he started going to a church after he was delivered. And eventually he became the pastor of this Baptist church in Puerto Rico. And his ministry was successful in Puerto Rico and he relocated to Florida. So most of his ministry took place actually in the United States. And his ministry, he was on the radio, he was on television, he was on a 24-hour internet thing in the early days of the Internet, reaching many, many people in both of the Americas. The problem with it is eventually, in about 2003, he was visited in a vision by angels, and he was informed that he was Jesus Christ, that his body and and Jesus came one. It was integrated into him, were his words. And his teachings got crazier and crazier. And his followers increased and increased. In the United States alone, they estimate that he had over a million followers. He established satellites of teaching centers in about 30 locations in the United States alone, as well as in Latin America and South America. I want to share with you a few of his teachings. He taught, first of all, that he was the Christ. His followers called him Jesus Christ Man. That's a loose translation of what it was in Spanish. He was the Jesus Christ Man. He taught that he was not only the Jesus Christ Man, but he was also the Antichrist. Rolled into one. Which was a good thing, because we no longer had to fear the Antichrist. And the reason we didn't have to fear the Antichrist is that sin no longer existed in his teaching. There was no such thing as the devil. Prayer was a total waste of time because of those truths that were becoming revealed through Jesus, meaning himself. As a matter of fact, he adopted the number 666 because it was the number of complete wisdom. And when you got that number tattooed on you, it showed and declared to everyone that you were a follower of the true Jesus Christ, meaning Him. Great teaching so far, huh? Many followers. Many, many followers. As I said, estimated over a million in Americas. He died in 2013. And his followers changed his name 
to Melchizedek because he was the great priest of all wisdom. Doesn't it amaze you like it amazes me that people follow things like this? There's been many, many men throughout the years who have claimed to be Jesus Christ. And they've gotten many, many followers. There's a man right now in Russia. He came to prominence about the time that the walls came down and communism fell apart in Russia. His name is Sergei Antolinovich. That's a mouthful. Torup. And I mention him because if you want to go on YouTube, you can find that a, 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 a kind of a, a, a fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants news organization sent a reporter there. And it's this idyllic, idyllic scene in Russia, out in the mountains, quite a ways from any major population centers. Beautiful, beautiful place. It almost looks like a fairy, fairy tale in, in the way the buildings are built and everything else. And he is worshipped as Jesus Christ. And when you see a picture of him, he, he looks like the Jesus that the TVs and the movies would make us think he really looked like. He wears the flowing white robes and he's got the long straight hair and he walks around so slowly. And he teaches. And he has over 4,000 followers that live in that very settlement. And he's got over 10,000 followers worldwide and many of them who make trips to get into the presence and hear the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He started a church. It's called the Church of the Last Testament. And it's called that because he wrote the Last Testament. It's a 12-volume testament written by this man, Jesus. And in it, he answers all of life's difficult questions and many of life's not-so-difficult questions. For example, this one I'm sure keeps people awake at night, but he's answered it in the last testament. What type of laundry detergent should you use? And people follow this man. They bow before this man. They worship this man and pray to this man. Jesus, this Russian character. John is writing this letter nearly 2,000 years ago, dealing with false teachers, dealing with issues that, that are as prevalent today and even more dangerous, I think, today because they can communicate their craziness in so many more ways. And what's really the shocking thing to me is the people out there that buy into this stuff. This, this Jose... Luis de Jesus Miranda became a millionaire with properties all over the United States. People were giving him million-dollar gifts, million-dollar homes, because they were getting the answers to life. And it's so crazy to me that, that when people want to follow somebody that can give them answers to life, they go to somebody who claims that they have an in with God. They're not going to some humanistic thing. They're going to God. And these guys even claim to be Jesus, the Messiah of the Bible. And people fall for it. When, when John was writing his letter, he wrote this letter with this primary thing in mind, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. 
there's still a truth for every single one of us that we may know that we have eternal life. And this letter is, is relevant today as it was then because there's so many people that are wondering and questioning. Even last night when we asked some of these people, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? One of the answers was this. Well, of course, I'm here, aren't I? Well, that's not in my Bible. And ultimately, to the glory of God and by his grace, this individual prayed to accept Christ. They understood the truth of the word, and the Holy Spirit was working in their life. We have an enemy that wants to create doubt. We have an enemy that wants to create fear and confusion and insecurity and hopelessness to the extent that we even question our salvation. True believers find questioning their salvation. They will deceive us as to who Jesus is, like these people. Or they will deceive us about who we are in Christ. Even as we were singing those songs about being a child of God. It's such a clear truth if you read the scriptures at all. That we're his children. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are seated in heavenly places with him. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you can go on and on and on. And that you say, are you going to heaven? I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? If the Bible tells us that we may know, and this is what John's addressing, you know what? You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. The issue throughout this whole book isn't whether you are or aren't saved. It's to assure you of your salvation. And that's what we needed, an assurance by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that we're saved. God, John has been reminding the people of a few things. One of them was the sound doctrine. He would remind them over and over again, you know what you heard from us, the apostles. We have the entire canon of Scripture. We have the Bible now. We know. We know what they didn't even know. But he was telling them, you already have enough teaching from the apostles to know that your salvation is secure, that you are saved. Sound doctrine. He was teaching them about walking in the light. Walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as He leads you. He was reminding them, as we talked about last week, you have this love for the brethren that's in you. That's not a natural thing. That's something that's given to you by God to affirm and assure you of your salvation, that there's a desire there to walk in obedience. He reminded them that your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is finished. Your sins are forgiven. He's reminding them of that. He's reminding them. He says, remember all the spiritual battles you've went through and you've come out victorious? That's because you're saved and the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're one of his children. He's reminding them of this. And then he reminds them that the word of God abides in you. The word that was available to them at that time that they had heard from the beginning was there. And then in our text last week, he clearly reminded, and we focused on this, that we needed to be aware of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of man. Those things that will entice us into worldliness, embracing the things of the world. Worldliness is contrary to the things of God. And then he says something about antichrists. And that's where I want to start today. We're going to look at... Uh, chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 18. And all the things that John addresses, he kind of focuses, I believe, on two primary reasons 
for the, the, the kind of deception that was entangling them. And these two things, they were a lacking in their grounding in the word of God. A lack of grounding in the word of God. A lack of grounding in the word of God. I was going to repeat it as many times as he said it, but you'd all get bored. But as you read through there, I went in and underlined how many times he said it in one way or another. The word of God, the word that's in you, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. He says it over and over and over and over and over again. You know, theologians tell us when you see something in there two times, it's important. When you see it in there three times, it's really, really important. I wonder what it means when it's in there about a dozen times in a couple chapters. And the second thing was they had no life in the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to be focusing primarily on. These kind of people, and I hope and pray that it's not us, but these kind of people are the kind of people that are easy prey for Satan and the Antichrists in this last hour. John's words. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit are the two things that will keep us safe in a world that is filled with antichrists. So I'm going to read John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. It says this, and now remember this is immediately following his admonition to resist the, the snares of the world and worldliness. And then he goes on and he calls them children. He says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, because you, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son, he has the Father. As for you... Let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But also his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, if you start studying this section of scriptures, one of the things you'll probably see in a lot of lexicons or commentaries, they'll start out, especially in the commentaries, they'll start out by saying, there are many ways of looking at these very difficult scriptures. Okay? So I'm going to let you know that up front, that there are some differing ways of looking at the Scriptures. For example, where it talks about you have an anointing. Uh, The commentaries don't even agree what that is. Some of the commentaries think that that anointing is the Word of God. Others think that it's the Holy Spirit. I believe that it's the Holy Spirit. 
And I believe we're going to see how John uses these two in, in combination, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I believe that's a critical aspect of what he's saying throughout this whole section of Scripture. So having said that, I want to look at what we're going to be dealing with. And there are so many things that we could focus on, and I'm going to try to stick on just three of them. One, that we are in the last hour of deception. We are in the last hour of deception. Two, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are what will protect us from the deception that's coming in this last hour. And three, the necessity of having the Word abide in us and our abiding in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to try to stay focused on those three things without too many rabbit trails. The last hour of deception. What is the last hour? I believe it's clear that it is a definite period of time. But we don't know how long it is. We are in the last hour. And the last hour will continue for an indefinite period of time that no man knows when it is. This last hour began with the first coming of Christ and it will end when he returns. That's the last hour. It is a real time frame. It is the time frame in which we see the Holy Spirit really working and moving in the church. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he said, I'm going to go, but I am going to come, go to the Father and I'm going to ask that he would send you the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, it's so important, this, this time frame that you have the Holy Spirit, that it's better that I leave than if I stay. Why? Because we are in this last hour and deception is going to rise up. And as closer and closer we get to the end of that last hour, deception is going to really rise up. There will be many, many more antichrists rising up in this last hour. And that is the characteristic of the last hour. He said, by this you know that we're in the last hour. There are antichrists rising up all over the place. And it's interesting, when you read through the Scripture, and, and it's a term most of us Christians have heard and used many times, and shoot, most of well, not most of us, some of us are continually identifying the Antichrist. If you want a good chuckle, Google images of the Antichrist on the Internet. I won't even tell you who some of them are. But there's many. And some of us are continually trying to identify who the Antichrist is. I believe it's clear the way John writes this that he believes there is a Antichrist or an Antichrist who is coming someday. There will be one. But he also makes clear that there are many Antichrists and they're already present. There is a spirit of Antichrist that is present and already in the world. And that spirit of Antichrist is going to continue to raise up antichrists until the hour, the final minute, the final second of this hour arrives. And John is the only one that uses that word in his writings in the gospel. In 1 John 2.18 that we just read, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come. That's how we know it's the last hour. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this in verse 3, but every spirit that helps identify, what are these antichrists? He says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist 
which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. In 1 John 2, verse 22, it says, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. And in 2 John, verse 7, he writes, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. This spirit of Antichrist does all that it can to make Jesus, to make the real Christ less than he is, or substitute different views or other people, including themselves, as the incarnate Jesus. And it appears that one of the reasons we see this spirit of Antichrist loosed so much in the end days, that last hour, is because, well, let's look at it. In verse 19, it said this, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not all of us. I believe one of the reasons the spirit of Antichrist is moving in the end days and is being allowed to move in the end days the way is to, to separate. To separate. Notice they were not of us. They never really, really were of us. If they had been, they would have never, ever left. There are many in churches all over the United States, all over the world that are sitting in churches, but they're not really of us. And they're going to be easily deceived and they will leave us. There will be this separation that's going to take place. And I believe as the the end of this last hour gets closer and closer, we're going to see that kind of separation. We're going to see those that aren't grounded in the Word and not living a life in the Holy Spirit. The deception is finally going to reveal itself in their lives. So the last hour. The second point was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working together. When you read through verses 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, you have to decide for yourself somewhere in meditating and studying that Scripture, what is the anointing that's being talked about? And I I don't believe it could be the Word of God because it sort of fits. But he also talks about the Word and he talks about abiding in the anointing or the Holy Spirit and letting the Word abide in you. So it seems to me there's a clear distinction. And I think throughout Scripture we see in the New Testament those two things are critical in working together. And so I believe when when he says you know the truth, he is reiterating to them, you know the truth. You've heard the truth. And there are liars and deceivers are out there and you should know who they are because you know the truth. And in verse 20 he says, and you have an anointing. And it says, this anointing is what you have received from him, and it abides in you. That's why I believe the most, the most obvious and I think the most clear explanation of what that anointing is is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what will enable us to know the truth that we have heard. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God together, keeping us from falling for lies and deceptions. Now, in verse 27, I need to address this. It says, As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. 
The Holy Spirit, I believe, is what it means, abides in each one of us. And then it says this, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. You can get in trouble if you read that and do not consider the context of how John is writing this. I mean, if I just take that one little section of Scripture and say, you don't have anybody any need to teach you, boy, oh boy, does that make me independent. Removes accountability. I have the Holy Spirit, and He's going to teach me everything. I don't need any of you. And you certainly don't need me. You've got the Holy Spirit. I believe a couple of things are critical there. He is talking about the truth, confronting the deceptions that these people are falling into. He's talking about the truths that they already know and that these false teachers are coming and saying, ah, sin is not a big deal. The body is sinful, but the spirit is pure. We don't need to worry about sin. It's the spirit, the, the, the flesh, no big deal. We don't need to worry about that. And he goes on and he, and he says, you know everything you need to know already and the Holy Spirit will teach you. You don't need any more teaching. You, you, what you know, the knowledge you have is sufficient for the deception that is coming against the church right now. I believe clearly in context that's what he's referring to because obviously there is great danger and there is many places in the Scripture where it talks about the counsel of more than one, not abandoning the gathering of the brothers in Christ, not holding one another into accountability. He talks about the gifts that he's given to church to build up and edify the church. One of those gifts is teachers. There's no way we can take this and run with it and say, I don't need a teacher. But you know what? There are a lot of people out there, too many people out there, who their truth comes from the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter what you or I say. And it doesn't even matter what the Bible says because the Holy Spirit revealed something new to them. Dangerous, dangerous place to be. The snare of the enemy has really been put in place. The Holy Spirit will enable us to know the truth. How does He enable us to know the truth? Because the Word of God that's in us, He will bring to our remembrance. He will bring it to life. He will help us to understand it. And He will help us to apply it. The Holy Spirit and the Word working together. The Holy Spirit enables us to know the truth not by some fancy new information that no one else has ever heard before. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us, one-on-one. And it may lead us and and reveal things to us that are really personal and they're not going to be in the Scripture necessarily. But if He teaches us or you think He's revealed something to you or someone comes to you and says, well, the Holy Spirit showed me this, and it is not lining up with the Word of God, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is an antichrist spirit. Someone who is starting to redefine who Jesus is. It's an antichrist spirit. Making him to be something that the Word of God declares him to be. Making him to be something different than what the Word of God declares him to be. We'll read a, verse, a few verses here in Second John. Verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. In other words, those who are denying that He was God in the flesh. 
This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. He's saying, don't, don't start listening to these lies and deceptions. It's going to take you out of fellowship with the Father. If you're really of us, their salvation's not at stake. That's not what he's talking about. He's trying to assure them, you're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your confidence. You're going to lose your hope. He says, watch for these people. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. In other words, anyone who goes further than what the Word of God says. Anyone who's getting this new revelation telling you something that no one has ever seen before does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the truth of Christ, do not receive them into your house. Do not even give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in the evil he does. Now, I don't want to take this too far. But to me, there's some real caution there at the very least. That we need to be careful. When we start hearing somebody saying, well, wait till you hear this new revelation. God just showed me it. And you go, it's about Christ or something to do with Christ or denying who he is. I, I'd run. Run from it. Don't listen to it. When it says, don't even invite him into your house. Well, we invite a whole lot of people into the house, but we never see their physical body walk through the door. We invite him into our house through our televisions and through the internet and through tapes and videos and CDs and books with all his new revelation or denying who Christ really was, that he was not the incarnate God in the flesh. At the very least, this Scripture should cause us to be very cautious. Very cautious about those that are not teaching Christ the way the Bible teaches it. When we work with the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit in us and we have the Word of God in us, we have the Word that tests the Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit that helps us understand the Word of God. Helps us to accept and abide in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit helps us grow in our understanding of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit gives us a power as we understand and operate in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to live out the teachings of the Word of God. Helps us to walk in obedience to those teachings. And the Holy Spirit will increase our confidence in the truth of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does not change the Word of God. He doesn't add to it or subtract from it. And we need to understand the two working in union. I believe this is what John is telling these people, these children, these believers. He's so concerned about them being deceived because there are many deceivers. And he thought they were in the, nearing the end of the last hour almost 2,000 years ago. The deception is going to continue to increase. The Bible is clear. We are going to see deceivers and liars and antichrists performing signs and wonders, false signs and wonders. If the Word of God is not in us and the Holy Spirit is not revealing that Word to us, we can get enamored with signs and wonders and not catch the false teaching that's taking place. Signs and wonders can confirm the Word of God. Signs and wonders never change the Word of God. We need to be alert. 
So often we say, man, God must be using that man or that person, that woman. Look what they've done. That is not the final test. It's not the final test. The final test is what what they're doing, what they're saying, and how they're living line up with the Word of God. And my third point. You know, in, in this whole text that I just read, and all the things that are in there, he really only gives us two commands. In verse 24, he says, Let the what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Remember, they didn't have the Scriptures as we have it. They had the Old Testament. But what they also had was the teachings of the apostles. And he's saying, Let the Word abide in you. We have the complete Word of God. We have more than they had. The command is, let the Word of God abide in you. It doesn't happen by osmosis. I mean, you could sit like this for a long time, and all you'll get is a headache. You need to open it. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to meditate on it. You need to do some work. Dig into it. There are so many helps that we have, but we always have to be discerning. Allow the Holy Spirit to really teach us, to reveal these things to us. So his first command was what you have heard, so therefore you have to hear it. We might even say, or what you have read, let it abide in you. Make it a part of you. And then in verse 27, we see his next command. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We need the word of God abiding in us. And we need to abide in the Holy Spirit. He does live in us, but we need to abide in him. We need to remain in him. We need to be sensitive to him. We need to believe him and listen to him. The Holy Spirit, the two commands that he's giving to the church at that time to help them avoid deception was let the word be in you and live in the Holy Spirit. What a powerful combination. And it's relevant today more than ever. Abiding in the word and abiding in the spirit. Paul Paul said something very similar in a couple of different letters, and I'm just going to read them. I don't think I put them on the screen. But in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of God richly dwell within you. And in Ephesians 5, he wrote, And be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Let the Word of God richly dwell in you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we do our part in having the Word abide in us, the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal to us what we need to know according to the Word that we can have rest in the promise that He makes and shows us here again in verse 25. It's kind of interesting to me how He just kind of stuck it right in the middle of all that. But he says, remember this, this is the promise. This is the promise that you may have eternal life. So as he's writing all of these warnings and encouragements and all these things he's saying, he's speaking to the believers. And he's not speaking to them about getting saved or losing their salvation. He's trying to just reaffirm to them over and over and over in many different ways, your assurance of your salvation. 
that's where we find a place of security in the, sh- in the assurance of our salvation. The hope that we have isn't something that should come and go based on circumstance. I know that I'm saved because, and this is what his whole point is when you get to chapter 5, verse thing, he says, I wrote all of this stuff that you may know that you have eternal life. That's where our security is. So the issue in this text is you study it, and I encourage you to study through this text. But the encouragement here is not about our salvation so much as it is that you can be certain that you have it. That's what the issue is, being reassured reassured of our salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for those things that John has declared to us, that we have the Word of God, that you have given us your Word, the Word that is truth, the Word that brings light, the Word that brings life. You have given us the entirety of your Word in the Scriptures. And you have given us the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us. And amongst all the many, many things that the Holy Spirit will do in our life, the Holy Spirit will bring the Word to life. It will teach us. It will give us understanding and revelation. It will give us an increased confidence in who God is and who we are in Christ. It will give us a greater power and a greater authority as we stand on the Word of God and as your Holy Spirit leads, guides, and empowers us. So I pray, Lord, for each one of us that you give us greater and greater discernment in the days ahead. But, Lord, I pray you would give us grace to really respond to your wooing us to your Word. Lord, that there, there is, would be a hunger in each one of us for your Word to know you better. God, that it would reveal to greater greater ways the, the love relationship you want to have with us. The blessings and promises that are contained in your word. God, I pray for each one of us that that certain hope, the promise of eternal life, would be something that could not be brought into question in any of us that are truly saved. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that doubts their salvation, that they would understand the simple process of acknowledging the fact that they're a sinner and the price had to be paid for our sins. The price was the blood of Jesus, your son, the spotless lamb, and that he died on my behalf. He took my punishment. And then on the third day, he did rise again from the dead giving proof that our Heavenly Father accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. God, I pray that You would give grace to each one here, like You've done to so many of us, to accept that gift, that they too might know the certainty of their salvation. Father, we ask that we would go as Your hands and feet, Your voice, that You would use us to share that good news. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.